Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Wadi Wachtel. You're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. History in Five Songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Martin Popoff here. Welcome back again to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We're pleased, as always, to be part of this growing Pantheon Podcast network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, and 40 other podcast platforms. All right. This is uh, episode 121 of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. We're calling this one Greatest Hits Plus. Nice tidy title. I think that uh, gathers in what we're going to talk about here. This is another episode that was suggested by a faithful listener, Neil Miller, who's given a lot of examples. And then I've kind of honed this down a little bit. I've always thought to do an episode on this uh, anyways. Uh, driven by, uh, honestly, uh, well, I'll give it away a little bit. One of the bands we're going to feature here, Motley Crue. You know, not one of my favorite bands in the world. Pretty good band. I'm kind of into them. Um, but really driven by uh, how crazy, crazy, crazy I was for Bitter Pill and Enslaved that showed up on their Greatest Hits album. We'll talk about that a little more. But this has always been an episode that's in the back of my mind. And Neil gave me a few extra examples. So thank you again, Neil. Um and I've changed it somewhat. I've honed it down. Uh, but essentially, the concept here is this. This is some of my favorite examples of when when a band puts out a greatest hits album. Okay, this is how I've honed this down a little. Uh, we're not talking about soundtrack songs. We're not talking about box sets. We're not talking about B-sides added as bonus tracks. We're not talking about songs added on to live albums, uh, even if they're studio songs. We're talking about songs added on to greatest hits albums. Um, that, and one of them's a little, a little off that, but we'll get to that. But so these are songs added to greatest hits albums and all five of these are fond memory ones where, where I'm, I actually cared. I, I actually gave a damn about them. Um, so that's, that's what we're looking at here. So they all have a, a little bit of a different, uh, thing, uh, to them. But what I, what I like about this episode is I'll probably remind you about some songs you forgot about that slipped through the cracks because this is the main way songs slip through the cracks is they show up in these greatest hits albums. We kind of remember it happening there. It does happen. Uh, and then we forget. But the neat thing about some of these is they're kind of important ones. Um, 
So let's get into it. Let's listen to our first track here. Uh, this is Van Halen with Me Wise Magic. All right, Me Wise Magic. So the cool thing about this, a um, couple of cool things. Van Halen was not a band who was really big on compilation albums, so they don't have a lot of them. Having said that, uh, this is off of a really badly titled one called Best of Volume 1. Um, and the neat thing about this is that we get a new song with David Lee Roth, the one you just heard, Me Wise Magic. We get another new song with David Lee Roth, Can't Get This Stuff No More. And the cool thing about it is both of them are pretty heavy and retro and uh, and quite good. Uh, we were all kind of excited about these songs being on here. And as a bonus, you actually get on this Greatest Hits album as well, Human Be Humans Being... Uh, that's a Sammy Hager, Sammy Hager or Van, ha Van Hager era uh, song from the Twister soundtrack. And that's a pretty cool song as well. It's one of these kind of like big stomping darker ones uh, for them. The other reason I wanted to uh, feature Van Halen here is because this happens again with Van Halen. And again, fond memories uh, on the best of both worlds compilation that's a, a a bit a bit better of a title and it had really cool packaging to it with you know the the eddie the eddie uh, crisscross uh, guitar pattern thing but the neat thing about this one is it had three non-lp songs from sammy hager on it it's about time up for breakfast and learning to see learning to see i didn't think was that much of a big deal but it's about time and up for breakfast i put those on my ipod i played the heck out of them uh one thing i love about those songs go check them out again they're in the typical semi-annoying sammy hager casual uh manner well van halen casual manner for that matter the, the band's writing on the music end of it eddie's writing say uh is pretty casual but so are sammy's lyrics i mean the lyrics are not about great are not that great uh, uh either but the really cool thing about both of these songs is that i think they captured for some reason they captured the very 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 best version of the van halen brown sound that was ever recorded across the entire catalog the production values are just brutal on all the instruments, yet still crystal clear, super powerful. I really think this is the, the very best recording, period, uh, you know, brown sound or not, that Van Halen ever got. So check those out on Best of Both Worlds. It's about time and up for breakfast. All right, let's move on to our second selection here. Take a listen to this. This is Aerosmith with Chip Away the Stone.
All right, so Aerosmith's compilation history is is pretty deep, but this is kind of the most exciting one because it's the only vintage one. Uh, Aerosmith did not have a lot of extra songs early on. Later on, they started to have a lot of extra songs. When when they they got clean, they got huge. They got outside songwriters in, so there was a lot of music written for a lot of the later albums, and you would get them as B-sides and whatnot. Uh, one of my favorites is Can't Stop Messin', which was a B-side on uh, on uh, Living on the Edge uh, from Get a Grip. But the neat thing about this one, so this is, uh, this is Chip Away the Stone. So this is a studio version that got added on to the Gems compilation from 1988. We all knew and loved the live version that showed up on the live bootleg album from 1978. Um, and this is a song by Richie Supa. Richie Supa is one of Steven Tyler's best friends. David Krebs, their manager, uh, who I've been talking to a lot lately, a couple times a week, actually. Uh, he, he says that Richie, uh, he even called Richie the sixth member of Aerosmith, believe it or not. Um, but he, he definitely is... Um, He's a he's a great songwriter. He hasn't been out there much in the world. He does have an, an old solo album. Uh, he helped Aerosmith out a bit, and he's also, like I say, Steven Tyler's best friend. Uh, and and David actually managed him for a while as well. But but you know, never really got that big and famous, did he? Um, but the cool thing about um, this whole situation is that this is an amazing song. It's very stonesy and casual and New York Dollsy. It's got that sort of uh, galumphing verse on it, you know, kind of a li little bit underachieving sort of verse. And then it just kind of takes off and soars and becomes really, really stonesy. When Aerosmith is stonesy, that's a really cool and magical thing. So you do get the studio version of this song on that gems. Um, give you a little history of Aerosmith here. So, so great. Greatest Hits, uh, 1980, which went diamond, believe it or not. Wow. So this is this is a Columbia Hits album uh, that's looking at all the great hits. That thing went 11 times platinum. But that even had come together on it. So it had uh, their version of that very annoying Beatles song from the Sgt. Pepper, uh, you know, that, that notorious movie soundtrack movie situation. So Come Together came from that. Uh, Pandora's Box, the big box set, a lot of cool rarities on that, but it doesn't really count. They're not the greatest rarities, I suppose. Then they did a, uh, a pared-down version of that called Pandora, Pandora's Toys, uh, 1994. So, so that's more of a, like, uh, it feels like a greatest hits album, but that included their cover of Helter Skelter, which they did back in 1975 toys era. Uh, they did a cover of Otis Rush's all your love and uh, chip away. The stone is on that as well. Um, the other one, which I almost picked a track from was the big ones compilation from 94. That was a big, huge, successful greatest hits album for them, but they really fit this concept. Aerosmith does of, of sticking on these new songs on these greatest hits albums just to gussy them up and, and get them some extra press. So on that, you had Walk on Water, which was kind of a cool, heavy, bluesy, clattery thing. You know, again, uh, this is one that is a heavy song that really suffers from the overproduction that is thrown at Aerosmith, everything but the kitchen sink. So it is very clattery, like I say. Uh, it's got Blind Man on there, which is a ballad, not terrible ballad, kind of one of their Southern Rocky, kind of new country-ish uh, sort of ballad, so a better one. Deuces are wild. Now, this is an interesting one. This was a pretty big hit for the band. 
Uh, it's a ballad and again, not terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I used to like it a lot more than I do now playing it again. That, that verse is very annoying to me, but I love the chorus when the chorus kicks in. It's, it, it reminds me a little bit of why here I go again by white snake is such a cool song. Uh, deuces are wild. Definitely has got that, you know, that big fist pumping sort of heavy chorus, but kind of a well-written chorus as well. So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, and that's originally from the Beavis and Butthead Experience soundtrack sort of, sort of situation. Uh, then they had the Young Lust uh, compilation from 2001. Lots of B-sides on that one, uh, plus the Big Ones uh, big ones songs on there again. Um, so nothing really new. Oh yeah, Ultimate Aerosmith Hits had Girls of Summer. Uh, kind of a semi-interesting but mellow one again for them. You know, Aerosmith's a really commercial band at this point, right? Uh, so it's it's got that little bit of psychedelic Beatles uh, to it. It's kind of a decent song. Then Lay It Down, kind of a country ballad thing off that. And then they had another compilation called Devil's Got a New Dis- Disguise, uh, named after the new song on it. Um, so so here you here is a band really pushing the new song, literally naming the album after it, right? Um it, it's it's kind of heavy, decent song. Uh, Sedona Sunrise is on there again, a kind of a bluesy, uh, countryish ballad. And then they had the Tough Love Best of the Ballads uh, compilation album, which had nothing new on it. So uh, so there you go, quite a history. Aerosmith compilations for being such a commercial band, you expect them to have a lot of compilations, and they really exploited this thing. But the most magical one was Chip Away the Stone. All right, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. All right, back again here. History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, episode 121, Greatest Hits Plus. Uh, Let's take a listen to our third selection and we shall discuss. This is ACDC with Who Made Who. All right, so this is the one that doesn't, you know, exactly fit uh, this whole situation. But the funny thing with ACDC is, uh, is they had some sort of, um, you know, uh, commercial integrity thing that that uh, they kind of said all along. Oh, we would never do greatest hits albums. So they kind of found a way around it uh, a little bit. And um, and who made who is a little bit of a greatest hits album. This is linked in with uh, the Stephen King Maximum Overdrive movie. And uh, the cool thing about this one, I wanted to pick this one because it was the pretty much the first song that came to mind after the ones that inspired this idea, the Motley Crue situation, uh, because I love the song Who Made Who so much. What an amazing ACDC song. Great ACDC song. So good. They knew it was so good. So they literally named an album after it. Now, is it really an album? Hard to say because, well, it is nine songs, um, so I guess it is an album. It is sort of the the official soundtrack situation. The other cool thing about this, um, and I wish I wish they could have made this a little better, but it's still cool that um, there are also two other brand new songs from 1986 uh, on this. Uh, DT and Chase the Ace, but sadly, both of them are instrumentals. Uh, so that's not so great. Other than that, 
uh, everything else is it 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 does become a little bit of a greatest hits album because you do have hell's bells on here you have for those about to rock on here you've got uh, you shook me all night long uh but then recently uh you've got you've got shake your foundations and sink the pink they put right on on here as well so yeah nine songs first song on side one is the magnificent who made who song uh you know other than that you know they they did put out the Iron Man soundtrack as well, and uh, or the Iron Man 2 soundtrack, and literally this is very, very close to a greatest hits, although really it's kind of just a compilation. As I look at it now, it's a 15-track compilation, and uh, it, it seems to kind of weave in and out of actually being a greatest hits because there's some semi-deep album tracks on it as well, uh, and then you've got Cold Hearted Man, uh, which is... Uh, Oh, what is that? I think it's Power Age era. Is it Power Age era or even Let There Be Rock era? But it, but it is a bonafide, uh, not you know, not a you know, remade into another song situation. Blah blah blah. Perfectly good old ACDC chestnut. Great old ACDC song. So that's the highlight on here. But it doesn't really fit our concept because it's not you know a new song to gus gussy up a thing. And it wasn't really promoted in a big way from this Iron Man two thing. But yeah. Weird, big, thick, uh, digi-pack packaging on it. Um, all right. So, so yeah, not a big history of greatest hits albums. They, they kind of stuck to their guns uh, with that idea of not, of not doing that. Speaking of guns, they had Big Gun, uh, but that was a soundtrack song situa situation. So that's a that's an on-LP song that was, a, that was on a soundtrack. Uh, okay, let's play our fourth track. Take a listen to this. This is Motley Crue with Not... Uh, enslaved or bitter pill. This is Motley Crue with Primal Scream. All right, so I definitely wanted to put Crew on here because Crew are the band that inspired this whole idea. Primal Scream is considered by many Motley Crue fans, myself included, one of the greatest Motley Crue songs of all time. And it's not on any uh, studio album. It's on this Greatest Hits album from 1991. This is a really cool album. Um, and it actually went double platinum. Uh, so it was a big album for them, but it had this great, great Primal Scream song on it, and it was promoted, and it was it did quite well as a as a single at the time. Uh, it also had a pretty heavy song on it called Angela, which is kind of a cool, heavy, smoking in the boys' room, sleazy, stonesy, poison, boogie woogie kind of uh, Motley Crue song, but quite serviceable, quite good. Uh, it had their cover of Anarchy uh, in the UK on it as well, and a couple other rarities things uh, on there. So, so that was pretty cool. Um, it's a, it's an odds and sods mixed with the greatest hits. Uh, later, they had the greatest hits uh, album in 1998, which actually went gold. Pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, on that one, uh, tracks one and tracks two were Bitter Pill and Enslaved. And again, I put those songs, like those Van Halen songs, I put those songs on my iPod Classic and I would jog to those songs and play them over and over and over again. I just love both of those songs. I don't know why. Uh, it's a mix of uh, their, their, their classic crew, but they're also well recorded. So it doesn't have that sort of Pasha weird uh, sound that you get. Um, 
you know, that Spencer Proffer sort of sound, even though it's Tom Worman, you know, back in the 80s sound. But so they're standard kind of Motley Crue. They're they're heavy enough, but they're really interesting melodically and just super, super hooky. I thought they were amazing, amazing songs. Oddly, when they re-put out the Greatest Hits album in 2009, uh, they took those off. And I guess it's because uh, their shtick with the 2009 version of Greatest Hits is it's only allowed to be the original lineup. So I believe on these, they might have had... I think this might have been because they, they had a different drummer and it might have been Samantha or it might have been, who else was in there? Was it uh, Joey Castillo or Randy Castillo? Was he alive? I can't remember. Anyways, I think it's because Tommy's not on them. Um, and they and they did put anything from, from Motley Crue on there uh, as well for the same reason. But yeah, they, they removed those two awesome, awesome, awesome Crue songs. Uh, and then uh, they had, Motley Crue had a later... Uh, hits compilation called Red, White, and Crew. And on that, they put If I Die Tomorrow, kind of a slow, grungy, heavy, dark one, mellow verse. Pretty cool song. Um, but yeah, a little bit of the times, I suppose. But it's neat that they put that on. And I think they promoted that a fair bit as well. And then they had Sick Love Song, which sounds a lot like uh, Welcome to the Jungle. It's got a little bit of a Welcome to the Jungle riff to it. So it's kind of a doomy but moving along, good rhythmic song. So that was pretty cool as well. And then they had their cover of the Stone Street Fighting Man on there. So so Motley Crue definitely three whole times did this thing that this episode 121 is all about, Greatest Hits Plus. Uh, so let's move on. Take a listen to our fifth selection here. This is Poison with Sexual Thing. <laughs> All right, so Poison. The funny story with Poison with me, I think I mentioned this before, but I was never a Poison fan uh, in the golden era of Poison. But when I started to get to go and see those packages that they did in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, you know, down at the Molson Amphitheater, interviewing the guys in person, interviewing the guys extensively on the phone, meeting all four of them, uh, you know, interviewing Brett in a hotel room and uh, uh, Ricky in, uh, in his um, in, in the dressing room and uh, Bobby down in, uh, in catering and Cece down in catering. Uh, so that was always a lot of fun. But the, th the cool thing is I came to it honestly. It wasn't just because I'm interviewing the guys and getting getting to understand why they do what they do because I was I, I still don't like those older albums so so the point here is is that I really liked all the music they were putting out a lot around this time and it was all very complicated what was going on so to get back to sexual things so this is a pretty cool song uh, where they're actually getting a little more complicated with what they're doing you sure you've got Brett with his new country mushmouth sort of thing and and they're and they're kind of like a lot of bells and whistles and stuff but Ricky's doing some cool things on the drums it's well recorded so I thought that was pretty cool so this is greatest hits 1986 to 1996 it came out in November 26 96 went gold uh, is their first compilation um, plus they had on there a, a new ballad called lay your body down. But I thought Sexual Thing was pretty cool. Rock Champions, Best of Ballads and Blues, they're, they're not really serious comps. They had nothing new. Then you had Best of Poison, uh, 20 Years of Rock in 06. Uh, that had 
uh, their cover of Rock and Roll All Night and We're an American Band, the Grand Funk song, which was kind of promoted at the time. Double Dose, Ultimate Hits, nothing really on that. But to, to continue on this, how it was all complicated and there was all this strange music coming out of Poison at the time. So uh, June 2000, you had Power to the People, which is half live with five new studio songs tacked on at the very beginning. And I love that stuff from there. So so they made this half album with CC being back. It was kind of like the big, hey, hey, CC is back. So they had these five songs and those went on my iPod Classic and I played them all over again um, and and was really enjoying that. So so I've got the, the, the hits, the new hit songs. I've got the Power to the People um, studio songs, didn't care about the live stuff at all. Um, so that was kind of weird. They put out this odd album, but they also had Crack a Smile and More, which was another weird album. So so Power to the People is June 2000, March 2000, so just like three months earlier, they put out this Crack a Smile and More, and what it is, is the delayed album that they were working on with Blue Saraceno on guitar. And this was recorded back in 94, 95. Then Brett has a big car accident, busts himself up. And uh, and so that album never happens. Uh, Capital, I think, drops them or something uh, in between. Um, so so five years later, you, you get this new studio album, but it's an old studio album and it comes out exactly the same time, more or less, as Power to the People. And then quickly after that, they come out with Hollyweird, uh, which is a bonafide new studio album in 2002. And I quite like that as well. So, so yeah, you had this confluence of weird poison stuff all coming out at the same time. But there's one song I played for you is uh, completely fitting this concept, this, uh, you know, sexual thing being a pretty good song from Greatest Hits. All right. Um, so there you go. That's our five examples. Um, a few other examples that that Neil Miller had brought up uh, that fit. I'll, I'll just kind of go through the ones that more or less fit. Um, cause some of these, I'm not sure where they're coming from exactly, but yeah, Aerosmith major bar, but that doesn't really fit. Uh, he, he mentions journey. The party's over the cars tonight. She comes. I have no idea about that. Rainbow jealous lover kind of fits this concept. It comes from a quasi, you know, that's a, that's a, 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 a Joe Lynn Turner era song that did not show up on a Joe Lynn Turner album, but it's kind of mixed in with a live album, a posthumous live album situation. Um, Let's see, what else do we got? Uh, he mentions the heaven and hell uh, stuff, ear in the wall, devil cried, shadow of the wind, doesn't really fit. Uh, Soundgarden bleed together, not sure what that's from. Boston, higher power, I had a good time. Uh, the car, uh, We mentioned that one. Def Leppard, uh, those new songs in Mirrorball Live. So so I may still do, I may still do a version of this episode where I will look at those li the live albums which, with extra songs, whether they are live songs or whether they are even studio songs added on to live songs. It might be a cool idea. Um, Bruce Dickinson, Silver, Broken Wings, Ozzy, Back on Earth, uh, Kiss, uh, the, the new stuff on the Killers compilation. Black Sabbath, Psycho Man, Selling My Soul doesn't really fit because that's tacked on to a live album. Maiden Virus, Iron Maiden. Yes, yeah, so this was pretty interesting. Uh, he writes here, good example of a band releasing possibly their worst song up to that point as a new song and single off their best of compilation, exclamation mark. Absolutely, I agree. That was not a very good song um, and they really pushed it too. Uh, so that's a, that totally fits this concept. Uh, Bad Company, new songs by the original lineup on the 1999 box set. Bruce Springsteen, new East Street Band songs on the 1995 Greatest Hits. Uh, Rolling Stones, Don't Stop, Doom and Gloom, and others. The Who, Real, Real Good Looking Boy, Old Red Wine, Be Lucky, Therapy, Bad Karma Follows You Around. 
um, from So Much for the 10-Year Plan. Uh, that's a pretty good, uh, good uh, title for a hits thing. Uh, he says, uh, my beloved Manic Street Preachers. Awesome on you, Neil. I love the Manic Street Preachers as well. Uh, he puts there by the grace of God and forever delayed. I mean, Manics have so many songs that show up in all sorts of weird places. Um, let's see. Uh, Paul Simon's greatest song ever slip sliding away was a new song on his 1997 greatest hits, etc. I didn't really know that. So that's kind of cool. Uh, John Coscio mentions... Um, Def Leppard, When Love and Hate Collide, Tesla Stepping Over, Tom Petty, Mary Jane's Last Dance, and Anthrax, I'm the Man. He puts in brackets, not sure if this fits. Yeah, yeah, I guess not not really. But And then he puts, uh, let's not forget the best example of all, Fernando by ABBA. Uh, I didn't know that. I, I didn't quite remember that story. Is that is that really? That's, so that's not on a, a studio album. Interesting. Um, there you go. Um, so hope you liked this episode. I do want to mention as well, um, you know, it's become a little bit of a tradition, but a few comments that have come in on the uh, the last episode made for Japan. Uh, Tegan Jane Kaya Garcia Evans uh, writes, great topic. I'm a huge fan of Japanese metal and bands embracing Japanese culture. I like seeing these bands have a second life in Japan and Asian music scenes in general, especially bands that never broke through in America or otherwise. A great example. Oh boy, this is a long one. I won't go into that. Uh, let's see uh blaze barshaw writes uh on based on somebody i'm not sure maybe this was tara rosa carried out live she even sounds like a japanese klaus Meini. um there's another tara rosa as uh, an example a brief note says tegan again the thing i love the most about japanese rock music in general is that these bands were clearly influenced by european and american music but then took the concept and made it their own using ideas that no english-speaking band and on and on uh this show took me back hiroshima monomore was the first song i ever heard with angve on guitar and it rocked my world i also remember it was i was the only person in my small high school that loved the song. Awesome. Uh, Neil Miller writes, thanks again for my name in the credits. I feel like a regular Bullslog airs. That's Gary Moore. Oh, that Gary Moore tune Hiroshima with Charlie Hune is from the shelved but later released Dirty Fingers album. It's probably the most new wave of British heavy metal type song I've heard from Gary Moore. Excellent. Check it out. I don't remember it actually. That's pretty cool though. Uh, it also has more than one instance of the Oriental memory uh, melody and some ham-fisted but well-intentioned lyrics. I'm pretty sure there must be going on somewhere as well well blah 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 uh let's see tegan writes again speaking of having an oriental melody there's also passage to bangkok from rush awesome example although i wince a little when alex plays the cheesy chinese fanfare series of notes you know de denoting something you know and and there's the little um uh Alex is mentioned here, but but I guess that's neil uh, the the bells thing right um so that's pretty interesting um and then Neil uh, puts in the wiki on the Oriental Riff. Um, that's pretty interesting. Ah, yeah, the Oriental Riff. I think it probably sounds more novel in the 70s. Sounds cartoonish nowadays, at least to my ear. Ears uh, also goes on writes. I'm pretty sure I recall someone in Scorpion saying that they did the acoustic album because there was great demand from Japan or the Asian market, or at least for such an album. I thought was interesting. Neil also writes another Japanese thing. They're apparently always interested in having the English lyrics available for their Western songs, so the record companies sometimes had to resort to phonetic interpretations for artists who did not include lyric sheets. That's actually true, and some of those were always a, a good laugh. Uh, and then uh, he includes in here. Um, pastes in the the uh, the bluish skull red and the black one, which is just off the chart crazy. Um, let's see. 
Uh, what else do we got? Joe Becht writes, uh, loves, love the first three loudness albums that are sung in Japanese. Uh, Mr. Yes Man is one of my all time favorite songs. Also, Marty Friedman played the intro song for one of Japan's greatest wrestlers, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Pretty cool. Thanks for that, Joe. Uh, Adam Morris writes, Doc and you reunited for a few weeks worth of dates in Japan a few years ago. It only happened because demand was so huge that Don couldn't turn the offer down. And of course, there's Beast from the East as well. Uh, let's see. Joe Beck also writes word has it. Don got 50% of the large payout and the rest of the band, George Lynch, Jeff Pelson, and Mick Brown split the other 50%. Um, uh, Adam Morris writes back how it should be. Don got the record contract on his own before he even had the band together. Bon Jovi doesn't split pay evenly. Uh, let's see. Um, Yes, the Dawkins Beast from the East. Uh, Augustine mentions that, and Nathaniel Noah writes with the Yakuza tattoos on the cover. Um, let's see. William Martin writes, greatly enjoyed this episode. My brain went directly to White Snake Starkers in Tokyo, which I always thought was a really good unplugged spin from Coverdale and Vandenberg. Let's see. Love the acoustic version of Love Ain't No Stranger. Uh, let's see. Mode Nijam writes, there was another similar band after Japanese band Loudness was a band called Earthshaker. Yeah, I've, I've meant to mention them and I forgot. They did some, um, made some marks back in the 80s. Uh, let's see. Shall I mention Joe Beck mentions baby metal? Absolutely. Eric J. Peterson writes, I was under the impression that the late nineties, early two thousands, Nordic high energy bands like the helicopters were better liked in Japan than in the UK and US. That's pretty interesting. Um, let's see. Um, hi, Fortuna writes a really great episode. This one, I'm wondering if you might do similar episodes somewhere down the line for other countries like India, Russia, China, Brazil, and the like. You know, I answered back and said, probably not. I just don't know much about what goes on over there. Be too much research for me, and I wouldn't be able to just rattle off as fast as I like to rattle these things off, right? Um, Midnight in Tokyo. Yeah, Tim, Tim Derling writes, not as sagely when Midnight in Tokyo is mentioned. Uh, let's see. Shannon Mahaffey, uh, writes, I remember seeing Rainbow in 96 at a club in Palo Alto when two guys from Loudness were there. And here I am mesmerized by Richie's improvisations. It seemed like he could literally bend the air. Maybe he did. And these guys just sat there looking bored, except for one song when they got up and danced. Uh, Augustin, uh, Garcia de Paredes writes, one little side is all the rockers that tattooed a whole bunch of Japanese motifs. So some of them ended up looking like Yakuza clan members. Uh, the crew come to mind uh, with their new tattoo album. Um, yeah, and then Josh Wood writes in. He wrote at MetalRules.com a big, huge thing on Japanese live albums called Jap uh, Japandemonium Live. Go check that out. Uh, that was actually a really... He does these really super well-researched articles over there. Uh, let's see. Uh, Nathaniel Noah writes, really surprised Riot wasn't mentioned here in the podcast. Absolutely. They had Tokyo Rose on their debut. Uh, the second album had a Japanese title, Narita, which was for the airport, right? And a great instrumental title track on there were Japanese characters and Japanese characters were on the cover of land of the rising sun was uh uh on their much more released unleash the fire album as a tribute to uh japan another really cool tune that comes to mind is night flight to tokyo from danish metalers witch cross love that witch cross album really cool so there you go um there's a lot more added um by you fine listeners um to uh my uh missing out on uh many cool things that i could have mentioned in the made for japan episode um 
If you like this episode and want to support what I'm doing over here, you know I've got the Ko-Fi thing where you can just click and I get a PayPal for three bucks and you can double it and go to six and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but very nice of you for uh, keeping this show going that way. It, it makes me feel legitimate um, and it is my only way of doing this. I'm not doing a Patreon or direct YouTube, uh, you know, what am I, what am I saying? PayPal. Um, so yeah, ko-fi.com slash Popoff. Hit that red support button. On that front, uh, this week I would like to thank Andy at Black Sugar Transmission, Bruce Campbell, John Clark, Tim Derling, uh, David Fisher, Tim, remember Tim's got that unspooled Kickstarter going for his uh, really cool book on the history of 8-tracks, uh, David Fisher, Jeremy French, Noah Green, Reed Little, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, and Steve Polari. Uh, you can also go to martinpopoff.com. Uh, there was a momentous time uh, just came in. Uh, I still have the Uri Heap uh, visual biography, but I just got in the Nazareth visual biography. It's really cool. The, the text in it is not just timeline, but there's lots of quotes from the band and a ton of pictures. There's, I think, 615 pictures in there. Um, so I've got that now. And I've got the Yes visual biography as well. So those are both brand new. And I restocked a bunch of things that went out of stock. So yeah, martinpopoff.com uh, for any of your book needs. Uh, thanks again. Uh, I hope I reminded you of uh, some, some cool new music to go listen to that might have fallen between the cracks. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.